Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. One of the things that's important for us to recognize is as we seek as, as Reformed Christians to properly understand covenant theology, covenant theology, one thing to understand in terms of the Adamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Adam. Chronologically, this is not the first covenant. The first covenant technically would be the covenant of redemption that God made with himself in the councils of eternity before the foundations of the world were laid. But in human history, we see at first in Genesis chapter 3, this Adamic covenant, a covenant of works that God established with Adam. And to Adam, in this covenant of works, was given 11 commandments. Not one, 11. Ten moral binding commandments. The same ten that are given to us in Exodus 20 and written on our hearts. They were written on Adam's heart as well. And in addition to these ten commandments, Adam was given one positive precept, namely that he would not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. Now, what was Adam's eschatology? Everyone, since the beginning of the world, with the very first man, has always had an eschaton always had some hopeful, eager expectation, the promise of God held out to those who would believe. Adam's eschaton, in agreement with other covenant theologians, I would say is this, that eventually he would be given permission. He would be permitted to eat of not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but another tree that was in the garden that we know of, the tree of life. See, now, you might say, well, wait a second. For Adam to have forever life, to never die, he doesn't need to eat of the tree of life. All he actually needs is to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam would have lived forever simply by abstaining from eating from the one tree without ever needing to eat from the other. So what is the tree of life and what fruit did it bear? What effect would this have had on Adam and Eve and all their posterity? Well, there's a difference in living physical forever life versus immutable, a state of immutable eternal life. See, Adam in the garden was created in a state of innocence, but able to fall, able to sin. But if he had passed what I would say, according to what Gil is saying with Abraham, I believe it was the very same intention of God with Adam that this was not um, a temptation to sin, not a seduction on God's part. Right? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, God, if you really didn't want him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I mean, the Bible says it was in the midst of the garden. Right? Would you, would you put your child in the backyard, your four-year-old, and say, all right, now there's something that you cannot touch. And it's not in the corner of the backyard. It's not tucked away and locked in the shed. It's right in the middle of the backyard. In fact, I moved the trampoline into the middle of the yard, and then I put this thing on top of the trampoline right in the middle. And if you touch it, well, that's actually what Satan would say, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
Right? Have you ever thought about that? But listen, listen. God is not tempting in terms of seduction. The way that Satan tempts. The way that Satan tempts Christ in the wilderness. No, God, in this temptation of Adam, of sorts, we have to use that word temptation very carefully, in this sense of being tempted, it was a probation, a probationary temptation, a testing is the better word. A testing, a trying. And that's the very same thing that we see God doing with Abraham. Not tempting to seduction for the purpose of moral failure and sin, but rather a, a testing and trying for a probationary period. And so what most covenant theologians would agree to is this, that Adam only had to pass this test for a time. It was a probationary period in this covenant of works that God set up in the Garden of Eden with Adam. That it was not going to be, what I'm saying is, it was not going to be indefinite. That Adam only needed for a time, preordained and decided by God, for a time if Adam had simply trusted God and obeyed God and not eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then, after fulfilling his probation, the time would not be indefinite, it would come to an end, as all probations do, then Adam would be granted access to eat of the tree of life, which would not give him forever literal physical life, which he already had by virtue of just not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he would then actually receive immutable eternal life and be as the angels in heaven are, unable to fall. And as Christians will be in the life to come, as First John says, when we see him, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is, unable to fall. Not merely a state of moral innocence, but a state of immutable grace. And that's the way to understand the covenant of creation or the covenant of works. And that's the very thing on a lighter scale, but the same principle, the same concept of what God was doing with Abraham. Why ask Abraham to kill his own son? Especially when God himself says, thou shalt not murder. How do we reconcile the seemingly two commandments of God, not to kill and to kill? How do we reconcile these two things? We must understand them in light of probationary testing for the trying and purifying and refining of faith, which is of more worth than gold, and we must understand them within the banner of the two, not one, but two wills of God, his moral will and his hidden sovereign will that seemingly at points in human history and providence appear to contradict. But in the infinite wisdom of God, we can be sure they never do. Houston, we have a problem. I repeat, we have a problem. Our conference is about to sell out. I mean, about to sell out. We probably have about mm, 75 to 100 seats left. Our venue holds about 525 to 550 seats, and we currently have 450 people who are registered for this conference. The excitement is tangible. A lot of people registered because they wanted to hit the early bird rate. We're now at our normal rate, $130 for an adult, $50 for a kid who's 11 to 17 years old, and kids 10 and under get in free. You can bring the whole family, but the problem is not that we're going to raise the rate again. The problem is we're going to run out of tickets, and we're going to run out pretty fast. Again, we've got about 100 seats or less. 450 people, six months out, are already registered for this conference. 
we don't want you to miss it. So to ensure that you get to make it to this conference, you need to register not a month from now, not a week from now, not tomorrow, but today. You want to be there for the Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference, May 5th, 6th, and 7th with James White, Joe Boot, Gary DeMar, Dale Partridge, and yours truly, Joel Webin. Go to rightresponseconference.com. Again, that's rightresponseconference.com. It will sell out very soon.